Before we get started, you should probably know that the following podcast contains strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Also, it will almost certainly contain spoilers. Hello and welcome to Minisode 130 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast given a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. Good morning, how are you? I'm okay man, I'm not too bad, not too bad. This is it, this is the last Minisode of November. So it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the festive season is closing in rapidly. Something that is evident from the can of Coke Zero that I'm holding in my hand, which has the... Of course, ubiquitous uh, cola-drinking Santa. Holidays are indeed coming. Mm, yes, yes, they are indeed, yeah. Um, now, I was going to ask how your week's been. Now, I know how your yesterday went, because I know that it started mm. fairly ropely, but hopefully got a little bit better after that. Uh, someone's fishing for compliments here. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Mitch. Yesterday morning, I went to Asda. Everything was fine. Toddling along in my little car, like naughty. I mm, got there. yeah. I got to Asda, went in, again, everything's fine, no problems, got back in the car, wouldn't start, had to get the RAC to come out, wound up sinking 330 quid into getting my car fixed, which I won't get back till tomorrow or today if you're listening on release day. Yeah, it's uh, it was a bit of a bummer then, I had to walk home from the garage where I dumped my car, um, and as I was doing so, I happened to be passing by your house, and I thought, hey, let's at least say hello, you took that hello one step further and had me entered through the hallway of your building into the yeah. shared back garden where we enjoyed a socially distant can of lager. Yeah, a single beer. Um, I let you pass through the communal hallway in a distanced way and outside. I'm trying to figure out how long it had been since I'd actually seen your face for um, something that wasn't you speeding past and dropping something to me out of a car or something like that. And I think it's minimum yeah. three, four months. Mm-hmm. Got to be at least. I do remember there was a brief day that you did pop up when the weather was slightly nicer and you were in the garden with us. Yeah, I kind of got that pegged in my head as being around about July. But either way, it was very nice to see you yesterday. Yes, it was. It was. It was absolutely lovely. Nice to be in your presence. Yeah, we also didn't really talk business that much either. No, we just talked shite. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, we're in the business of talking shite, so maybe we were a little bit. <laughs> well, as we're talking shite, we might as well get on with talking shite on this episode right now what have you watched this week i have but the one film to report back on this week things Uh have been pretty busy but i did uh yesterday so saturday i made time just before you came by actually to catch up with a fright fest selection from a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. benjamin barfoot's double date oh yeah okay Mm -hmm. so i missed this the first time around and uh it's just recently i believe or relatively recently landed on amazon prime and basically what you have here is you've got these two guys one of whom is kind of very shy around women and one who is Mm -hmm. very much the other way kind of far more confident far more talkative kind of thing uh but he's trying to get this guy kind of to find his feet with just being a little bit more relaxed and stuff like that they end up on this double date Mm -hmm. with these two women who are not who or what they appear to be And the film unfolds largely over the course of a single evening, kind of into the morning. And uh, yeah, and it just kind of escalates and gets progressively darker and funnier as it goes on. I skipped out on this in the time, not for any specific aversion to how it looked or kind of what I felt about it. I think there was just something in the same slot that I really wanted to see. 
as it turns out, I like this a lot. Right. The humor has this kind of like cringy Britishness that I kind of <laughs> struggle with in basically almost everything that isn't peep show okay but it really worked here and it made me laugh a lot and it like grimes up quite nastily when it needs to um a couple of excellent uses of only you by yazoo as well right okay uh which is a swift route to my heart yeah i like this quite a bit also uh james swanton in this as well uh needless to say being the british javier botet as he always is <laughs> indeed yeah he's kind of become the, the go-to monster man in the uk yeah and with good reason he's very good at what he does and uh he is kind of in a creature role here without giving too much away about where the film eventually goes but um yeah this was really fun it's just like it's like a lean just kind of inside 90 minutes it's fun gory care about the characters nicely written Everything's kind of turned up to 100 with kind of, like I say, some of the cringe factor and some of the humour and things, but it all kind of lands quite nicely with the tone. I went into this being like, this will do for this afternoon while I'm doing things. I'll have this on. And I very quickly just stopped what I was doing and just sat and watched it. Uh, so Double Date is on Amazon Prime, at least in the UK. Lovely. And uh, yeah, you could do a lot worse than going and checking that out. I thought this was really pretty good. I think that if I had seen it the year that it played at Fright Fest, it probably would have been in my 10. Oh, right. Wow, fuck. So yeah, nice to uh, get that off the list, get caught up with that. What about you, though? When we were talking yesterday, you kind of hinted that you'd uh, caught up with a couple of things. I have caught up with a few things. You're right there, Mitch. But the kind of crux of what I was going to talk about was porno. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we uh, mentioned this on the streaming platforms last week. Yeah. Because uh, this landed on Shudder, I believe, on Thursday. So yeah, I caught this at Fright Fest and liked it quite a bit. I a year or two ago you said you'd seen it and liked it as well so you went back to this one yes i did i yeah i, I thoroughly enjoyed this um again on on rewatch a, a similar thing happened i was like Do you know what i'll just put porno on in the background while i'm doing stuff by the way the stuff was reorganizing some dvds on my shelves um, okay. and very quickly again that that task that i don't really want to do anyway was pushed to the back burner and it became let's just watch porno it's nice when that happens. It's nice when it happens, but at the same time, it's kind of irritating because you've started a task and then the place is a mess and you have to kind of, I need to go back and finish that at some point before my, before my son comes in and barrels through all my, my Blu-rays and DVDs and just like <laughs> throws them all out the box or, or urinates on them as he's wont to do now. So. All right, oh, lovely, great. Mm. Um, so see, porno, just very quickly, obviously I uh, yeah. ran through the synopsis briefly when um, I was talking about it when it came to Shudder, but do you want to talk about it just in your own words, like what it's about and what it is that worked for you about it? Yeah, kind of cinema in this straight-laced Christian town staffed by kind of straight-laced Christian kids who are obviously kind of struggling with their own issues, their own sexuality, their own kind of, I mean they're, they're all young kids so they're kind of trying to figure out who they are and what they are and what they're all about while at the same time they've constantly got this, I guess this kind of layer of crushing oppressive Christianity raining down upon them um, but then in the cinema as things progress they find a hidden part of the cinema and a film which unleashes a naked succubus really upon them <laughs> Yeah, yeah, fair um, And then there's a lot of cock and ball trauma an awful lot that's right there is isn't there i'd forgotten exactly how much cock and ball trauma there was but from cocks being ripped off to exploding testicles all manner of stuff it's uh, it's all here if that's if that's your jam if that's the kind of thing you like to see then you will not be disappointed because there's a lot of it <laughs> if that's your bag yeah yeah if you're out there searching for cock and ball trauma i mean we could point you in the direction of some other films that contain cock and ball trauma but uh, you could do a lot worse than visiting porno it's uh, also it's pretty funny and i think would actually make quite a decent pairing with something like deathgasm yeah i hear that i would say yeah they're kind of they're both suitably over the top they're both quite funny they've both got a decent amount of heart it's a decent pairing to my mind i would say i think that's a pretty good call but they've 
both got kind of demonic overtones to an extent, and I think that the, the visual pairing would work quite well. Very hard to disagree with any of the things that you're saying here, Andy. Well, well, Mitch, thank you, thank you. That so, makes a makes a change. Um, yeah, Porno's on Shudder just now. I would absolutely go and check it out. It's gory, it's silly, it's a lot of fun. Check it out. Great stuff. Really glad you took so much out of that on the second visit. Then, uh, anything else? I've spent a lot of time in Tromaville. I snapped up a Troma Now subscription. So, okay. uh, yeah, I've just been going back into a whole bunch of trauma stuff. I've watched all the Toxic Avenger films now. I had already, but I've revisited them all. I went back and watched Romeo and Juliet, Class of Newcomb High. I watched all the Toxic Crusaders. Oh, yeah, the uh, the cartoon that you and Sam were talking about. Yeah, the very same, yeah. Fun time was had. Yeah, nostalgia filled. But with surprisingly less drugs in my personal life, because I... I I smoked a lot of weed when I used to watch a lot of trauma films. Okay, I was watching them with uh, an unaltered state of mind. Uh, interesting. No, no, it was just as fun. It was just, uh, I was probably eating less toast. Fair play. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I should probably try and get myself into a, the mindset of kind of like trauma sensibilities and try and take in a few more of them, I think. I thought you were about to say you should probably start smoking weed. No comment. <laughs> no time like the present. <laughs> it's been a hell of a year. So... Nature's gone wild, Mitch. Oh, it has, has it? Interesting. It has. Okay, so what have you dug out this week? Well, this was a, a recommendation, because I'm, I'm getting loads of people coming at me with film suggestions and things that I should be watching for this kind of side quest. This one came in from Kinell. Okay. To be honest, this one's kind of interesting. Um, it's from Dick Mass. Okay. Who died it. Yeah, I was trying to think up Christmas puns and stuff to kind of tie in with the festive flavour that we're starting to put on things moving forward. But uh, he directed Saint or Sint, the film about Saint Nicholas terrorising Amsterdam. Right, okay, very good. Well, he's directed something similar, but instead of it being Christmas and, I guess, Santa, it's a lion terrorising Amsterdam. Jinx, okay, tell me more. The film starts off with this family getting munched by this lion, right? including their little kid, which is only the first of a few little kids that get eaten in this. And then uh, like this woman who works at a zoo, I think she's a veterinarian, she is dispatched to kind of help the police track and find this lion. All the while, this lion is running around, eating people, eating delivery drivers, just savaging people left, right and centre. So then they summon this stuck-up English hunter with one leg to come in and help find the lion and bring this sad, terrifying story to its close. This film, actually, to begin with, right? presumably it's in Dutch, right? Sure, okay. But, I mean, it's on Amazon Prime, so I would absolutely suggest just go and dip in for five or ten minutes to see what I'm talking about. If it catches you in those five or ten minutes, stick to the head, because there's a lot of wild stuff happening. Uh, But, like, the dubbing is some of the maddest dubbing I've ever seen in my entire life. It's (laughs) almost robotic and emotionless but hilariously poorly delivered. It's it's so, so funny that I took more away from the dubbing than I think I did the film. I actually think it overrode the film. I'd quite like to see it in subtitles because it makes the acting look bad, but if you turn down the volume, the acting doesn't look half as bad. It's, it's a wild old time, and it, it, there's moments in it where the line looks terrible, and there's moments in it where the line looks surprisingly good, actually. Um, but yeah, this, this one was quite fun. I, I quite enjoyed it. There's some kind of nasty gory stuff towards the end of it there's like i I say there's a big giant fuck off lion eating children and running like literally running through the streets of amsterdam it's uh it's quite fun so this is prey 
this is Prey, yes. And like I say, it's on Amazon Prime now. And that was a recommendation coming in from our pal Canel. Outstanding. I'm just noticing that this comes in at a robust one hour and 48 minutes. Yeah, that was slightly disarming, I have to say. It's <laughs> a word. I couldn't believe my eyes, actually, when I saw that one time. Yeah, Jesus Christ, that's a whole lot of lying. <laughs> And a world's worth of bad dubbing, honestly. It's it's sensational. The dubbing's sensational. I'm actually I actually think that the guy who played the the kind of hunter, I actually think he was English, and I believe he may even have been speaking in English, but he was dubbed over by an actor who I'm also convinced wasn't him. Amazing. Yeah, there's a lot of that. You know, you know, people are kind of mouthing stuff phonetically, or it appears that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I check it out. The dubbing's a fucking riot. It's worth it for that alone. Superb. I feel like this side quest is going reasonably well for you so far. It is, and actually I've got to be honest, while I was working from home the other day, I did kind of load up on a few titles, so I'm ahead of the game. I'm obviously not going to come out and spunk my load, like, early doors on more than one a week, but I have kind of stockpiled a few in my brain. Uh, stockpiling is a wise, wise move. I never had the presence of mind to do that during the 90s side quest. And uh, while as much as that was extremely inconvenient week to week, it did also mean that the improvisation of that led to me discovering the graveyard story. That's true. If nothing else, the time it'll take for me to kind of reel off the ones that I've just watched might allow for some more firm opinions to be formed. See, I think this is a good thing. And like I say, it's something that I never had the chance to do. You'll be able to sit with the films possibly for a week or two, let mm. them kind of bed in. By the time you come to actually talk about them, your opinions will be fully formed, but you can have a bit of confidence in them. That's it. That's exactly it, Mitch. But what might at first... I, I might look back on Prey in a couple of weeks and go, that film was dog shit. But I didn't give myself really any time to let that opinion form. I watched it on Friday and I'm here now. Exactly, exactly. Like, I, I think that you've come at this from all the right angles. I think so myself, to be honest. Right, moving on. What have they been saying? Feedback time then, and a bunch of stuff coming in this week across a variety of topics, I must say. A big thank you, though, first and foremost, to Sam Ashurst this week for joining us to talk The Toxic Avenger. And the inbound, and by inbound I mean tomorrow, release of his own film, A Little More Flesh, on Troma Now. You'll be doing very well to spend your week checking that out. Yeah, even get the trial subscription and just uh, check it out. Yeah, that option's there as well. Um, but a few people getting in touch with their thoughts on Toxic Avenger, which I think is not surprising. This is one of those films that's come up a bunch of times when people have talked about films that they would love to hear us do an episode about and stuff like that. So it was kind of inevitable that a few people would come out of the woodwork with some opinions. Hanny underscore Ray getting in touch on Twitter, our old pal, saying that she would definitely watch Toxie versus the Droogs. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the cross-universe Toxic Avenger Clockwork Orange film that we pitched during that uh, during that chat. Um, I've got quite a few things here, a lot of little, a lot of little points and observations. But we'll start with uh, Kean, Kean O'Brien at Not So Kean getting in touch to say, "Think I also saw Toxic Avenger for the first time at an unjustifiably early age on Bravo. I uh, <laughs> definitely saw Evil Dead and some others for the first time on Bravo as a kid. Childhood late nights in front of TCM and Bravo are what moulded me into the strong, violent PC demographic. Well then, ah, okay, you're exactly what we're after, Kean." I also want to say hello to Darren Gaskell getting in touch and uh, having some thoughts on the Toxic Avenger. Saying the character of Sarah warms my heart. In many ways, she's my ideal woman. A sweet, kind, gentle soul who's motivated to do only good things and also can't see me. <laughs> uh, Andrew Barron on Facebook got in touch to say, So, if the character of Cigarface earned his name by turning up for day one smoking a cigar, what was the actor who plays Nipples up to on the first day of filming? <laughs> Good question, Andrew. I think that could only best be answered by Lloyd Kaufman. Yeah, if that naming convention stretched across the board, then I've got some questions about that as well. (laughs) 
Um, I want to say hello to Alexis as well, Cosmic Ray Girl, who was very vocal in her mm-hmm. excitement about his cover on the Toxic Avenger this week. Yeah. Described it as simply a masterpiece by Lloyd Kaufman. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, on Twitter. I must admit, like the more I've thought about it and the further away that I've got from it, the more curious I am about going back and watching the sequels, or su- not even necessarily all of them, but just like a couple of the early ones maybe, and seeing what universe this spawned, because the notion of this expanding into this heavily merchandised and kind of thriving multi-platform kind of dynasty that it became is really interesting to me uh, because mm-hmm. I, if you'd just shown it to me with no context, then there's no way I would have ever have believed that that would have happened. And that's not to the detriment of the film. It's just an unlikely mm-hmm. scenario or an unlikely outcome sure. from something like this. So uh, I would be quite curious to know a little bit more about the exact iterations of this that came after this film. Well, if you're wondering, Mitch, if Toxie goes to Japan to find his Japanese father in the second one, you would be correct. Oh, cool. That's, that was going to be my next question. <laughs> Uh, Caitlin, Scared Sheetless, got in touch to say The latest episode, referencing the comparison of Garbage Pail Kids to the Nightingale Set me off laughing as much as it did the first time Looking forward to the episode (laughs) Yeah, pretty notorious stuff from Sam I don't think he made quite as outlandish a comparison to anything in that uh, conversation To the best of my recollection But uh, yeah, Sam will always be famous on this show For being the man who compared the Nightingale to the Garbage Pail Kids Wild stuff uh, you got anything else on the Toxic Avenger before we move on? I want to just say, while we're on the Toxic Avenger, while we're talking about Sam, before I, before I issue a retraction on something, what I do want to say is, see everybody who's atting me about doing Batman versus Superman. No. It's simply not happening. Over my dead body. Mitch, I will burn this podcast to the ground before I allow that to happen. <laughs> and most certainly before I wind up watching a version of that fucking film that's three and a half hours long. No, I've never seen it, and I don't feel like watching one that is more than 200 minutes in length is any place to start. That's disgusting. Moving on then, unless you have anything else. I do, I've got one thing left that I have to say here. Now, this is one of those moments, and I've done a few of these, where I do issue a retraction. Okay, yeah, I mean, we're very open to these things. If people want to issue any kind of corrections, anything like that... We're pretty amenable, I would say. So this is coming in from Bill Carr, right? And on the Toxic Avenger episode, there was some chat about uh, Melvin's mop technique and how I felt that I wouldn't necessarily be overly fussed about Melvin dumping his mop briefly in the water as long as it didn't make contact with my skin because I believed that the water in a jacuzzi might be warm enough to kill or certainly fend off any bacterial invasion. Okay, yeah, yeah. I also just want to say as well, I think a jacuzzi's probably quite a dirty place to begin with, but Bill Carr got in touch to say, the assertion that a hot jacuzzi would kill germs piqued my curiosity, so I checked, and surprisingly, the maximum temperature of a hot tub is around 40 degrees. That would be Celsius. So if you put a mop in there, you'd probably be sitting in a kind of fizzy bacteria soup before too long. Um, I didn't do any research before I made my outlandish claims in the episode. I merely espoused a theory. As it turns out, it would appear that my theory was wrong. And yeah, you would potentially be covered in urine and toe juice from the floors of whichever sports centre was being cleaned up. Whether that's the Tromaville Health Club or whether that's somewhere else. Uh, Yeah, I accept that. And I take back my foolish words and I'll put them in my pocket with the rest of my opinions <laughs> leave your stupid comments in your pocket exactly. um, Andy in your defence I don't think that you were coming out making any bombastic statements that you genuinely believe to be rooted in fact I think you were speculating and that's fine mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to touch very briefly on the fact that we made the bold decision this week to put out a Patreon episode an Irredeemables episode no less 
on mm. the 2010 remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, good lord. Yeah, but that was something we did. Controversial move. Um, and a few people getting in touch with some opinions on that. Uh, for anyone that is not a Patreon subscriber, we both came up fairly slash extremely negative on that one, uh, as I'm sure you won't be surprised to learn. And a few people joining us in that sentiment. Andrew Barron getting in touch first, saying, The sense of disappointment was downright palpable in your tone of voice in this episode. <laughs> Very justified too. I've been disappointed in many films in my life, but rarely angry. This film angered me. Uh, piling on to the same thread, we had uh, Dan Popomatic getting in touch as well um, on Twitter saying, I think it had one decent idea that it didn't steal from the original, and that's the whole effects of sleep deprivation slash microsleeps thing. Of course, it does pretty much fuck all with this good idea. It reminded me to never see it again. <laughs> just want to speak to that briefly. I want to just issue a little bit of praise to Dan for understanding our message when we say don't watch something. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I never think that it's particularly ambiguous, but see, when we say don't watch something, keep in mind, you know, you're talking to Andy and Mitch, who have an extremely high tolerance for crap. We have done 130 episodes on things that people think are crap. When we tell you to not watch something, we are aggressively telling you, we are speaking directly into your ear to specifically you, telling you to not check this out. It is incredible how many times people, once we do that, say, oh, I'm going to go watch that now. So Dan, thank you for not then being like, I'm going to go rewatch it. Thanks for getting it. Thanks for understanding that we're trying to warn you off. We're trying to do these things so you don't have to. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Uh, I've got a triple threat of comments <laughs> on uh, Instagram about okay. A Nightmare on the Elm Street. Uh, coming out first from uh, Galen Howard, past guest, of course, uh, joined us a while ago to talk rubber. I'm um, saying, now that's quite mm-hmm. the task. Um, it's easier to slam this than it would ever be to defend it. To be honest, I don't want to meet the person that holds this film in that high regard. <laughs> okay. Uh, Fee Bunny saying, oofed, you guys are brave. And Adam Fred Guest saying, you poor fuckers. I have to agree with that last comment because it seems unfair that we put ourselves through through that. Uh, that was our own decision, Mitch. No one forced us to do that. By the way, I just want to say you one know. thing here, Mitch. I know we're saying I don't want to meet the person who's going to defend this film, but I have met the person who says they're a fan of it. Gary Hewitt. On Twitter, at Hewitt G Pro getting in touch to say, I'm a fan of this film and I've no idea why. I have no idea why either. Mm, to which I responded, let's thrash this out, Gary, let's get to the bottom of this. And Gary's saying, uh, I know the teen casting is awful, can't argue there, they're all grown-ups, but I like the dark nature of it. It attempted to drag Freddy back to his roots, but it didn't pay off. See, I don't think it did attempt to drag Freddy back to his roots, because like we talked about on uh, Irredeemables episode, there really is no explicit comment that Freddy's a, a sex offender or a paedophile. He's merely a child killer, which I, I know isn't really a defence. <laughs> so, right, okay, that's fine then. <laughs> but this uh, film just leans into it a lot more. I think it leaves a bit of a sour taste in the mouth, quite frankly. Yeah, I think that the way that I would speak to that as an observation is that I think that that film leans into the darker elements of the backstory when it needs to to darken it up. I don't think it has any particular interest in grounding that as a story point i think it just does it when it needs to lob more fistfuls of misery at you correct uh, when when they need to ladle on a little more darkness that's the road they've chosen exactly i completely agree also uh darren gaskell getting in touch on twitter as well old pal of the show moderator on the chud locker and also host of socially distanced cinema of course a fine mm-hmm. episode which hit all of the reasons i'm not especially impressed with this remake it was also a timely reminder that i should never watch it again andy the message is reaching people it's working notorious bad film fan Stevie Reeve got in touch to say that that's uh, a step too far even for him which says a lot really see yeah this is good 
I feel like we're outwardly helping people now. That's all we ever wanted when we started this match. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a long-form public service announcement. <laughs> do you have anything else in Elm Street before I jump to something else? I do not. The only other thing I've really got here is from Laura Bynan on Passion. Okay, cool. Laura getting in touch to say, uh, back after a break and kudos for the Passion episode. Very comfortable talk with Lucky McKee. I'll catch up with the film as I was always a De Palma fan. Uh, and also same age to the day as, as, as Laura's dad. Well, if you're a Brian De Palma fan, go check out Passion. I would say if you're not a Brian De Palma fan, go check out Passion. It's weird. It's a total curiosity of a film. Really interesting pick, I think. And if you're a fan of a smoky thriller, then definitely check out Passion. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, you can hardly see the screen for smoke. <laughs> I think that might just be early onset cataracts, Mitch. Ah, uh, do you think so? I do. Clear as a bell to my eyes. <laughs> Staying with the passion episode, a few people got in touch to talk about how well or poorly I held my composure while talking to Lucky McKee. It wasn't that you didn't hold your composure. It was more that you were kind of gay. If you if you were in the room with him, you'd have been gazing at him with big moony eyes. You'd have had your face cupped in your hands. Your head would have been tilted slightly to the side. You would have had a tiny little wry smile and really big, wide, golem-like eyes. But Hanny underscore Ray had my back on this one, saying, I thought Mitch held his composure admirably. I've fallen apart in front of actors I like twice now. I could not do this podcast life. (laughs) Um, I have a couple more things, uh, just on a couple of miscellaneous topics. Do you have anything else to touch on? I don't. I've got no more feedback at all, so it's over to you. Finish. Bring us home. Okay, just a couple of things then. I want to say a quick hello to Kim Morrison, who, uh, after it appeared in Sky Movies, uh, treated herself to a first watch of Howard the Duck this week. I noticed that, and I noticed we didn't get any feedback after the fact. I would be curious to know how that went. Definitely. I also want to say hello to our old pal Stephen Keith, uh, Keisha on Twitter, who has been away from the show for a little while, but has now returned, and his entry point of choice was uh, the Orphan episode with Brendan Steer, which I think has been a kind of later era favourite for a lot of people. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people join us for Orphan. Yeah, so I um, hope you enjoyed that, Keisha, and I uh, hope you stick around again. Nice to have you back, however briefly it may be. And just to conclude, I want to just touch briefly, because if I was going to go into this in depth, then we would be here all day. But I just want to talk very quickly about the bad movie club that is thriving in the Chud Locker. Mm-hmm. I want to say a quick hello to Andrew Barron, who has been um, accepting recommendations from a number of people, most notably uh, Stevie Reeve, Kinnell, and James Duffy. Right. Uh, but this week he checked out a whole bunch of stuff, um, including Scream of the Wolf, Nam Angels, Hellmaster, okay. and uh, the one that piqued my curiosity the most, The Oily Maniac from 1976. Oh, aye. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm familiar with The Oily Maniac. Uh, 88 films have put The Oily Maniac out in Blu-ray. Okay, cool. Everyone lobbing recommendations in all directions in the Shud Locker right now. Gotta say, the one that piques my interest the most there is Scream of the Wolf, because they're uh, not known for screaming. This is very true. Would you like to know a little more about it before we move on? Uh, please, please, yeah. I want to know why this wolf is so pained that it needs to scream rather than the traditional howl. So here's Andrew's own interpretation and his own synopsis of 1974's Scream of the Wolf. Masculine philosophy goes wild as John Weatherby, an aging hunter, attempts to solve the mystery of an unknown creature devouring anyone who wanders into the woods at night. Strange tracks left by the beast lead some locals to believe it's the work of a werewolf. Either way, John is determined to stop it before it kills again. Cool, so it's prey but with a wolf. Yes, this was also, in a shocking twist, an Amazon Prime pick. (laughs) Of course it was. Right. That's a lot of feedback, and my head is spinning. I can barely take it all in. So I think it's time we retreated to the safer climbs of... (laughs) 
It is once again time for Mitch's Pitches. So Mitch's Pitches is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment. While we're recording, Andy will send a picture to my phone. It will be a poster from a horror film from years gone by. He will have photoshopped out the title, the tagline, any other identifying text, and leave only the image. It will be up to me to describe the image to the best of my ability and, where possible, to give it a title and a synopsis. We'll also share it everywhere so you guys can join in as well. A whole bunch of you did that this week. We had the Dark Tower this week. Of course. Reappropriate by you as the secret of my success too is this covered by my company benefit scheme <laughs> yeah yeah i phoned that title in we had quite a lot of people get in touch on this one fire away let's hear them uh not too key in getting grimly existential with his one every day the citizens of topiatropolis drag themselves from their beds and trudge along the black skied overpoweringly gray streets to work themselves to their inevitable demise Based on shocking true events, it's a story variety described as unimaginable horror. Cower in fear from the nightmare that is, literally any years, the reality of the working world. <laughs> C.P. Buckley, also on Instagram. The year is 2152. The place, Newark, New Jersey. In the future, everything has been corporatized, even death. You choose how and when you'd like to die, with only the richest having enough money to live forever. But Chip Hardman, great-great-grandson of Detective Dick Hardman has other plans. He and a band of rebels have decided to take down corporate America one company at a time, starting with Death Inc. Now, (laughs) using Dick's old magical journals, Chip must find a way to stop the elite Death Inc. death squads from wiping out the population. But Chip soon finds himself in a moral quandary when he falls for corporate manager Evelyn Ville. Will Chip set aside his romantic feelings to save the world? Will he discover that being able to choose when and how you die isn't actually that bad an idea? It's a 1994 future shocker, The Hardman Legacy. Death Inc. Be Not Proud. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Uh, Chris Salt, then, who confessed to working backwards from the title on this one. Okay. (laughs) It's the 80s in Manhattan and greed is good. Vampires are bad, though, and a whole nest of them have just set up shop right in the middle of the city's financial district. And these bloodsuckers don't give an F. They've even rearranged their building's facade into the shape of a giant coffin to promote brand awareness. As the enormous sarcophagus attracts more and more (laughs) hordes of the undead and the blood begins to flow, it's down to maverick futures trader Don Beitmanek to rally his fellow (laughs) yuppies and take the fight to them. Can they infiltrate the vampire's HQ and put a stop to the gruesome ghouls within, or will they fall victim to vicious vampirical vengeance? Find out in Hank Lottenfrenner's 1989's action extravaganza, Casket Base. (laughs) <laughs> fuck off <laughs> honey underscore ray then living to work is the motto of many a corporation but none make their employees embody that motto more than death co a company run by vampires who siphon the life energy from their staff before turning them in order to maintain their knowledge transfer within management <laughs> it's coffin break dying on company time <laughs> Okay, cool. Scott Cameron, whoops1974, on Twitter saying, Is it a COVID 19 Origins movie starting with a bloke coffin in the staff room? Oh. Got him at Travis J. Good, welcome to the coffin shop. Right, okay. Mm hmm. Uh, Andrew Barron, the Necropolis Corporation have discovered a novel method of saving on staffing costs. They're reanimating the dead to work for free, and all it will cost is the flesh of the current workforce. It's a job for afterlife in 1985's Overtime. Okay, cool. Tony Constantinou, when the nefarious Dr. Milton Space Launch begins to experiment (laughs) on the unsuspecting senile senior citizens of Brokenheimen Retirement Complex, it's up to Resident Residence Committee President Mac Danger. Fuck's sake. It's up to Resident Residence Committee President Mac Dangleflaps to rally the remaining wrinklies and escape the sinister scientists in 1987's Boffin Dodgers. 
Kevin Matthews, on the morning of his wedding, excited Nick Romantic, runs out to get in his Toyota Igo and is shocked to see that it has assumed the shape of a coffin. Not wanting to leave his bride, Izzy, coming, waiting, he rushes to the church anyway. Seeing him pulling up in his strange new vehicle, Izzy is affronted and believes she's being mocked. She runs away, out to the back of the church. Desperate to catch her, Nick heads to his car, which has been stolen by a merry band of goth thieves. Can Nick find his runaway bride? Why did his car change on his big day? Join a horribly miscast Todd Carty in 1998's <laughs> If it hadn't been for Coffin I Go, I'd been married a long time ago. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, Coffin I Go? Jesus Christ, it was all going so well up to that point. Yeah, I think that there should have been a tumbleweed sign for that one. <laughs> Uh, James Rodriguez uh, pushing the boundaries of the censorship rules for um, the pitches here. Recovering from the events of the last film, the sleepy town of Romero Falls are ready for battle when their dead rise once more. In a surprising move, the zombies are timid beings, compelled only to work. As supermarkets and businesses reach a boom in productivity, the market opens up to a newfound brothel called Morningwood, which caters to living and dead alike. It's up to young hero Smeg Gargla. <laughs> hard thumbs down to investigate the strange turn of events and resist the urge to crack open a cold one. Prepare for the most drastic change of pace a franchise has ever seen in 1986's Dead Uprising 2, Make It a Stiff One. I distinctly remember a couple of weeks ago saying I did not want to hear the word smegma or smeg or any kind of iteration uttered on this show again, James Rodriguez. Andy, you could not have been more clear. Bill Carr is next. Excited about this. And uh, he wins the award, I would say, for potentially my favourite first five words of any pitch ever. <laughs> Sadly, that doesn't win awards, but carry on. A cabal of sentient briefcases attach themselves to the hands, <laughs> and therefore arms, of the men of the city of Mexico City in Mexico. The briefcases lure the men towards a multi-storey building. Women go too, probably just to find out what's going on. As they approach, the building begins to transform into a giant coffin, although it's a disproportionately wide one possibly for an overweight giant, or more disturbingly, a medium-build one whose legs have been severed below the knee. Find out what happens next in Terry Pantera's briefcases. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Okay, okay. Find that very hard to argue with. Really enjoyed that. However, we did have a pitch coming at the absolute eleventh hour, right on the buzzer today, mm-hmm. uh, which you sent to me at the last minute, and uh, it is only from Lauren Ashley Carter. Yes, because uh, Lauren listens to this show now, uh, and uh, yeah, she's even taken up pitching. Indeed, she has. So let us begin. The new wealth managers at Flatulens Bank in hip downtown Philadelphia have what it takes. Charisma, brains, and backbone. But for every new manager that arrives, an intern disappears. Are they jumping the internship? Or is it something more sinister on the Dow Low? Shock market. They're dying to sell out. Oh. Shock market is a very strong title. Like I'm amazed there hasn't been a film called that. I know, actually. Yeah, I'd be really surprised if that doesn't exist. Lauren, thank you very much for getting in touch. Lovely to hear from you. And thank you to everybody who got in touch with the pitches this week. Another really, really strong week. However, Andy, there can only be one to four winners here. So, uh, best pitch, best character name, please. This is incredibly difficult this week, I have to be honest. I find it incredibly hard to look past Terry Pantera as the best character name. 
Agreed. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so that's mm, Bill. Yeah, and I think the pitch of the week has to go to Tony because it made me, the title <laughs> made me laugh no end. I think that everybody scores a few bonus points when the word boffin gets loved around. Yeah, and a few people have used boffin in the past. I could do with some more of that. Um, do you know what, Mitch? We're approaching December, right? I'm going to give everybody nothing this week. Wow, okay. So uh, so you have picked a couple of things that you would identify as the winners, but everybody gets a little bit of nothing this week. Yeah, I'm feeling incredibly full of the joys of the season. I am your very own Santa Claus. And yeah, I have nothing for every one of you. If you all hop up on my lap one at a time, you will get your nothing and you will be ushered off by a sinister elf played by Mitch. Hey! Um, congratulations, Andy. You have been degrinched by the collective high standard of this week's pitches. Lovely stuff. My heart has grown three sizes this day. <laughs> Superb. Okay, my turn then, I guess. Yep, you ready? Yeah, hit me. Beep, boop, boop. Ooh, okay. I can work with this. Like this plenty. I actually right. think this is a great image. I agree. This is a great, great image. Okay. So there is no border to this image. The background is black. The bottom third of it is completely blank. I'm guessing that's where the title and the identifying text have been removed. <laughs> so um, we have a woman here who has a swipe with the Susan Sarandons about her in hair, I would say. <laughs> I think that's largely where the similarity ends. I mean, she does look like Susan Sarandon <laughs> and like... And- Towards the kind of later stages of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> um, she's wearing a white gown with a kind of crisscrossed kind of tires around the cleavage. Um, she is now, yeah, no, yeah, she has no skin on her face. I'm just confirming. I'm just zooming to be sure, but yeah, no skin there, uh, no muscle, no nothing. She has a skull for a head. Mm. Um, I mean, I know that we all have a skull for a head, but there's nothing on it at all. Interesting you had to zoom to check whether there was skin on there, Mitch, because I can tell from quite a distance that that is just a skull. <laughs> I was being facetious, Andy, thank you. <laughs> um, uh, uh, more strikingly, and I think that kind of the main I was going to say the main point of the image, but in fairness, the fact that she's got no skin in her face is also relatively high priority, I would say. But she is also holding aloft in her right hand the severed head of a screaming man. He has a receding hairline and very dark hair. He's looking upwards um, and screaming. Yeah, and uh, blood is dripping from uh, the kind of his, like, neck stump. Sure. So there you go. Skull-headed Susan Sarandini woman in white gown holds severed head of screaming man amidst a backdrop of swirling mist. Lovely. Brilliant. Well done. Yeah, perfect. Thanks very much. Right, okay, I will, however, require a minute, although kind of I've landed on an angle, it's a little bit of a strange one, but I'm feeling okay about it. Cool, cool, let's do it. Let's do this thing. I really can't overstate how much I love this poster. Like, I think it's really great. I would be it's great. thrilled to bits to have created a film that warranted this as its poster. I must admit, this is one of the ones that, like, immediately when you sent it to me, I was like, I'm looking forward to pitching this, but I really want to know what it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, do you know, I think there's a lot to be said about a poster for a film. And it's a completely kind of marketing thing, but I think it can make or break a film because I've seen some absolutely... And me and you went through a phase of kind of shooting back and forward some terribly photoshopped, like, posters and kind of DVD covers and stuff. Uh, I, I think it can it really makes your film to have a super strong poster um, and this one is as strong uh, yeah. a poster as i've ever seen 
I'd be inclined to agree. I think it's great. And yeah, I would say as well, I think that on the other side of that coin, it's incredibly frustrating to see great films get kind of hamstrung by shitty artwork as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, completely agree. However, um, I have, yeah, I think I've got something here. And like I said, I've, I've taken one detail, which is the fact that somebody is wearing a white gown that one may wear to a formal event. And I've, uh, I've worked outwards from there. Just before you do that, Mitch, I do want to say I think this is sleepwear. Right, well, I disagree, and I'm the one that's pitching. Fair. Okay, fire away. <laughs> it's the summer of 1955, and millionaire Manhattan real estate power couple Manny and Alotta Benjamins are ready to present their shy, retiring daughter Pamela to the world. That's mm-hmm. right, it's the Benjamins' debutante ball. In need of a venue, and altruistically looking to help the owner recover her fractured reputation... Manny and Alotta make the controversial decision to have the party at the mansion of disgraced entrepreneur and self-made billionaire Shirley Dequila. The evening begins and all is well, with Pamela making her first tentative steps into adult society. However, what starts as a deadly fight for survival soon becomes a deadly fight for survival as the party guests are eviscerated one by one by a skull mask wearing killer in a white ball gown. With time running out and the bodies piling up, it's up to notorious lady detective Blythe Accusation to solve the mystery before it's too late. Climbing the social ladder has never been more deadly in director Rags McGuffin's 1977 directorial debut, The Cotillion Killer, Debutante of Death. Wow, have we had that director before? Rags McGuffin, no. No, no, it just rang a, rang a bell. Uh, maybe there's a real director called Rags McGuffin. <laughs> I really hope I haven't stolen it from someone else then. <laughs> like, um, that's the only plausible explanation, because I thought that it was quite good, and then I was like, I was like, I was really pleased with myself. So it would add up, it would track logically if the thing that I thought was decent that I came up with was something that I subconsciously stolen from someone who's funnier than me. <laughs> I'd love to get an email into our mailbox. It was like, uh, from the desk of some lawyers confirmed just saying, uh, we represent Rags McGuffin. We would appreciate you not using his name going forward. It'll be a picture soon for using for using their characters. It'll be a cease and desist letter from Tony Constantino. <laughs> Every day I wait for Dave Malcolm to turn around and say we need to stop doing this segment. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, the originator, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just waiting. For the, I'm just waiting for, for that injunction. Anyway, I'm assuming that this is not the Cotillion Killer debutant of death. And uh, 1977. How close was I with that? Six years out. 1971. Not so bad. Okay. And the film is The Night Evelyn Came Out of the Grave. Oh right, that's really weird. I've actually um I saw that title in print today because it's coming to Shudder later in December. Yeah, that's kind of I, I was looking through our emails as well, and I, I was like, oh, that's got a cool poster. Right. Okay. So not only is this one of my favorite Mitch's Pitches posters possibly ever, I'm also gonna have a platform to watch it soon. You will indeed. Yeah, you you do currently have a platform to watch it if you like, because it might be on the Arrow Video channel. It's certainly available on Blu-ray from Arrow Video. Okay, cool. However, speaking of this film, the film it actually is, The Night mm-hmm. Evelyn Came Out of the Grave, mm-hmm. you got a synopsis? I do. Uh, jumping on IMDb here, our synopsisizer for this week is Ellen Ripley, 112. Good to see that Ellen's taken some time away from fighting xenomorphs to synopsisize The Night Evelyn Came Out of the Grave. <laughs> Very decent number, yeah, absolutely. Okay, what's he saying? A wealthy English lord is suffering a mental breakdown following the death of his red-headed wife, Evelyn, whom he feared was cheating on him. He tours local bars and dives, scouring for lovely redheads, willing to come back to his decaying castle in the country, where he seduces them, then tortures them, then kills them. His friend, the doctor, talks him into marrying again to help heal his slowly rotting mind, which he does. But are the doctor's orders really what he needs? <laughs> you know what got me there? Um, his friend, the doctor. 
Yeah. So I can't remember his name, but I remember he was a doctor. That feels so amazingly phoned in. That's brilliant. Um, that concludes Witch's Pictures for this week. That image yeah. is everywhere, and that film is coming to Shutter scene as well. Uh, moving on then to the streaming platforms, and we need to take a deep breath with this because after the uh, relative starvation, the drought of the last couple of weeks, people mm. stepping up a little bit now and uh, delivering some good stuff this week. So starting with Amazon Prime then on Monday, we've got episode nine of Walking Dead, The World Beyond. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. Uh, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, if you remember, because uh, I watched episode one. I have not watched any further episodes. And to be quite honest, until you mentioned it there, I totally forgot it even existed. <laughs> Well, uh, if that uh, ringing endorsement doesn't convince you, I don't know what will. Wow. But episode nine is out there for Monday. <laughs> On Tuesday, uh, this film is absolutely in the DNA of this podcast, Anaconda. Ah, okay, okay, brilliant, amazing. Uh, also on Tuesday, The Chum Scrubber from Ari Posen. Oh, right, okay. Are you familiar with this one? No. After a friend who sells prescription medication is killed, Dean, played by Jamie Bell, is confronted by Billy, the high school drug dealer, who demands he hand over the remaining stash. Dean refuses, causing Billy and his partner to plot to kidnap his younger brother, Charlie. However, unaware of what Charlie looks like, they accidentally abduct another boy. When neither parents nor law enforcement believe their story, Dean is forced to go on a rescue mission. Now, this is a really weird film that almost no one that I've spoken to that has seen it likes. I think it's great. Right. It's got Rafe Fiennes, Jamie Bell, Camilla Bell, Glenn Close. The cast is ridiculous but it all takes place in this weird surrealist city it's awesome um but loads of people don't like this it's not particularly well reviewed and things like that but it's out there and i think it's really good so that's the chum scrubber on amazon prime from tuesday the chum scrubber the very same sky cinema not so much hard commit to christmas from sky really there so nothing massively going on (laughs) netflix though on tuesday another one that's kind of in the dna of this podcast whether we like it or not sucker punch Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, not. Baby doll, a girl slated for a lobotomy in a 50s-era asylum, leads a group of young female inmates in an attempt to escape. Also on Tuesday, we've got Taken Lives. FBI profiler Ileana Scott is recruited to assist the police in their desperate search for a serial killer who assumes the identities of his victims. Also got U-Turn, a young reporter's investigation into a string of grisly suicides, takes a dangerous detour when she follows the clues to a cursed stretch of road. And also on Tuesday, we've got Series 1 of The Guest, bound together by a tragic past, a psychic, a priest and a detective, walk into a bar, and join forces (laughs) to take down a powerful spirit driven by bloodlust. On Monday, on Shudder, we've got a Christmas horror story, a very, very well-liked anthology um, horror from the festival circuit from a few years ago. Not even Santa Claus is safe from the evil that descends on Bailey Downs, a small town that is suddenly plagued with malevolent spirits, zombie elves, and Krampus. Also on Monday, on Shudder, another previous selection on this show, and a previous selection of mine, no less, uh, Dan Burke and Daniel Olsen's Body. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, another film I Uh, haven't thought about uh, in a long, long time. Um, I think about it all the time. Three young women face a moral dilemma when they accidentally kill a man at a secluded mansion. I love this, and it's only about 75 minutes long. It's on Shudder from today, if you're listening on air date. Uh, there's also an Andy versus Mitch episode out there about this. I think this is really cool. It basically plays out like a play. 
I think it's class. Go check it out. On Tuesday on Shudder, another thing that I love, actually, and one that probably needs no introduction, Sinister. Okay. Yeah, um, I think I think most people are familiar with that one, but in an attempt to recreate the success of his first book, true crime writer Elson Oswald, played by Ethan Hawke, moves his family into a house where the previous inhabitants were brutally murdered and a child disappeared. When he discovers a box full of disturbing home videos, his journey into the house and its history becomes increasingly nightmarish. One of my favourite studio horrors, full stop, this one. Yeah, like it. A couple of things from the 70s landing on Wednesday as well. The corruption at Chris Miller. Okay. A woman and her stepmother suspect their handyman may be a scythe-wielding killer. Oh, wow, okay. And uh, also from 1978, also landing on Wednesday, Leon Klamowski's Trauma. A writer arrives to an isolated boarding house run by a beautiful but strange woman. Shortly after his arrival, guests start to get violently killed. And to wrap up, on Thursday on Shudder, we've got Anything for Jackson, which has been doing the business on the festival circuit this year. Mm -hmm. After losing their only grandson in a car accident, grief-stricken Audrey and Henry, a doctor, kidnaps his pregnant patient with the intentions of performing a reverse exorcism, putting Jackson inside her unborn child. It doesn't take long to figure out Jackson isn't the only ghost the grandparents invited into their home. Now it's a race against time for the couple as well as the pregnant woman to figure out a way out of the haunting they've set upon themselves i think this sounds really interesting this was actually recommended to me just the other week there by uh, dean capsalis oh of course yeah <laughs> uh we'd been just kind of talking about things that we'd seen at festivals that we dug and uh, he'd mentioned this um so i'm looking forward to getting the chance to catch up with that so that's anything for jackson and yeah. shudder on thursday so a decent amount of stuff i think it's fair to say uh, this Amazing. week now my heart says body for a pick of the bunch my head says sinister i'm going to say sinister or anything for jackson because that sounds really interesting i would also like to on a personal level see the one about the the, the family who think that their the son is a scythe wielding killer or whatever because a scythe's quite big it's a difficult thing to hide like surely if you've got a scythe knocking about then you're probably the scythe wielding killer yeah they think that their handyman is a scythe wielding killer in uh, the corruption of chris miller so if it's just a handyman with a toolbox i'm very curious about where he's concealing it or what they're working is to get to that accusation and scythes are about six foot tall yeah <laughs> you can't really miss him but uh yeah like i say i think that for a week this close to christmas um a real wealth of stuff across the platforms this week so if you check any of that stuff out of course get in touch with us yeah and it's interesting that you mentioned christmas mitch because that brings us on nicely to this week of course our first episode of december it will be our first outing for the festive theme and a festive film and as if all that wasn't enough, we do have a guest as well. He is the writer, director, and star of what I think is fair to call the breakout smash of Fright Fest this year. I don't think that that's an overstatement. The film in question, of course, is Benny Loves You, the director, the man in question, Carl Holt, joining us this week. Yeah, and I'm really excited about this because we're going back to 1984 for Silent Night, Deadly Night. So, how are you feeling about this? This is an exciting combination of elements, I think. We've got Benny Loves You director Carl Holt joining us this week to talk Silent Night, Deadly Night. If you want to get in touch with us about your thoughts, because again, this is one that's come up. People have spoken about uh, wanting to hear us do an episode on this for a little while. Every time Christmas rolls around, it kind of becomes part of the conversation, so we're finally doing it. And it's not even our Christmas episode. It's a kind of like it's like a wee bonus extra that we're finally doing this. And we're doing this with the aid of our Silent Night, Deadly Night spirit guide, Carl Holt. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to this. If you want to get in touch, let us know what you think about this and everything else that we've talked about today. There's loads of ways you can do that. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC, and you can email Strong Language Violent Scenes at gmail.com. Yep, and you can check out our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Strong Language Violent Scenes. Uh, we're going to be planning another watch along on Patreon before the end of this year. 
So you might want to pop onto Patreon and have a little look if you want to get involved in that. Absolutely. Big thank you as well to the couple of people lately who've boosted their pledges. Yeah, specifically Andrew Barron and Chris Skelp. Guys, you were already giving us money. You didn't have to do that, but we massively appreciate it. Thank you so much. Absolutely, yeah, it means the world. Also, don't forget that if you do want to interact with some more listeners, maybe some of the names that you hear mentioned every week and things like that, almost everyone populates our Facebook group, The Chud Locker. Get on there, search it, join it. It's moderated by me and Darren Gasco. It is largely a bad movie club with some chat about the episodes and people just talking about things that they dig and people promoting their work and things like that. It's become this really nice little thing. So if you want a little bit more to this or if you want to kind of broaden this whole experience, then that might not be a bad place to start. So if you just head over to Facebook, search Strong Language Violent Scenes, The Chud Locker, you'll find us. Thank you, Mitch. We are back this Friday. We're talking Silent Night, Deadly Night with Carl Holt. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.